Welcome to the Women Shifting Gears podcast driven by Hemmings. This is your home for inspiring conversations with women leading the way throughout the automotive spaces. I'm your host, Amanda Busick, and the power of this podcast is in the strength of this community. We believe that high tides rise all ships into each of you collaborating together to steer this ship. We see you, we recognize you, and we salute you. It's time to set sail. Another episode of Women Shifting Gears starts now. With 45 professional NHRA wins, Angel Sampay is the winningest female in all of motorsports. The three-time Pro Stock Motorcycle Champion is currently in hot pursuit of her fourth world title this season in a year that Angel has self-defined as crazy. Balancing the off-track roles of mom, wife, and business owner, the Louisiana native remains humbled and grateful for her 25-year career with no plans of stopping anytime soon. This episode of Women Shifting Gears is driven by Hemmings. Welcome to your Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. I'm so excited to welcome in this week's guest. She is the most successful women, female, motorsports individual of all time. She has 45 wins to her career. Without further ado, the three-time NHRA Pro Stock Motorcycle Champion, Angel Sampage, joins us. Hello, Angel. Hey, how are you? Hey, I know. Uh, hey, it's the stress of the season, but I'm not sure if anyone has uh, more of that on them than you right now as you look to go for your fourth championship of your career. How do you keep that out of your mind and on the task at hand? Well, thankfully, the good Lord above has given me enough struggles at home to keep my mind off of racing. You know, Ida came in and wiped out my hometown. Um, been really busy with that. Actually, that's what I was working on all morning. Uh, trying to get an SBA loan done, working with insurance and FEMA. We still haven't received anything from our insurance company yet. We're seven, almost eight weeks out, I think now. Um, and we're still living with no roof. We got the blue tarp on, some walls gutted out, you know, lots of damage going on around our whole town. I was very fortunate compared to some of my friends. And then my daughter, Ava, started some sports now. She's playing basketball, and Maya's about to start dancing again. So there's just so many things going on personally um, that I just haven't had time to really sit and think about the championship. And that's a good thing, thank goodness. So what you're saying is, besides being a professional racing driver, you're also a person. Yeah, exactly. I have a very <laughs> full life back at home. My husband and I run our own business together. Uh, we have a company called Coral Fever. We do custom saltwater aquariums and I do all the bookkeeping for that and whatever else he needs me to do. And I have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old daughter who keep me very busy. This morning was one of the most hectic, trying to get them out of bed and ready to go when one of them doesn't want to go to school. So yeah, it's. Uh, I can tell you one time I was on an airplane and I was headed to the racetrack and a lady and I started um, having conversation in the plane, asking, you know, where are you going? Where are you coming from? And I was on my way to the racetrack and I was, she was, you know, just really shocked that I drive race a pro stock motorcycle. And I told her, I said, yeah, I feel like when I get on the airplane, I have to put on a superhero cape, you know, because I'm going to do something pretty amazing. And we had previously talked about life before she asked what I did for a living. And she said, no, darling, I think you have it wrong. It's when you go back home, you have to put the superhero cape on because the life back at home is way more difficult than what I do at the racetrack. I've never thought about that from the other side, but I'm sure that was a moment of, huh, quite introspection. I kept thinking to myself that it's time for me to, you know, internally and externally grow bigger, just be stronger, put on that race face, put on that superhero cape when I go to the racetrack. And I wasn't really thinking about how I needed to just use that part of my life as my escape. 
And it, it is what happens when the helmet goes on. I do escape from reality. And I think that's why I do so well when my life is in shambles and things are going crazy, like the whole Hurricane Ida thing. Well, as you mentioned, Hurricane Ida came through. You were born and raised in Louisiana. What does it mean to you to be Cajun? Oh, wow. It's, it's everything. You know, the way I was raised, we come from a, a very small town. Uh, there's not a lot of money where I live. So not a lot of spoiled people, not a lot of rich people. And to work my way into racing with the way I was raised, it was a whole different story for me. You know, I had to scratch and claw my way in. And my mom and my dad were both very, very hardworking individuals, both worked full time all their lives. It's what I saw. It's what I grew up watching. You know, you have to be a hard worker. And um, I learned to appreciate things that way. And so the Cajun way is we believe that nobody's better than us and that we're better than nobody. I think I told you this before when we did our track walk. And if anybody around here ever tries to act like they're better than anybody else, everybody else is going to knock them down really quickly. So, you know, I can go to Walmart and I see a bunch of friends and family and people that I know, and they think that it's great that I'm racing and I'm on TV, but they have never treated me any differently. It's I'm still Angel. I'm still the Bayou girl. I'm still the girl next door. And I, I like it that way, you know, because I get to have a little bit of taste of a small amount of fame at the racetrack and what, you know, how the fans feel about me. But when I come back home, um, I get knocked right back down. <laughs> and if I remember correctly in your track walk, uh, you're you're also willing to knock people right down. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you're definitely when you're born and raised Cajun, you're born tough and you're raised tough. And as you can see in the track walk, there was no dancing going on. Um, I did a hip toss and threw my husband off the track. <laughs> um, and he's the one that taught me how to do that. So uh, we stay in shape. We do jujitsu together. We like to physically fight for the fun of it. Not, you know, not for real. We, we stay in shape that way. So yeah, Cajun born and bred is, is strong mentally and physically. Well, let's go back to the beginning. As we established at the top of the show, you are a pro stock motorcycle rider. How did this all start for you? When did you know that the motorcycle was going to be your journey? At six years old, my brother was racing motocross along with my dad and some cousins and uncle and we used to go out to motocross track and I'd watch my brother race. Well, I wanted to do it myself. My dad did not really want me to. He wanted, he had a son who was racing motorcycles. He wanted his daughter. He would prefer to see me in ballet and pageants and stuff like that. But I just, I don't know what happened. There's a joke that goes around the family. My mom said when she was three months pregnant for me and she wasn't aware that she was pregnant, she was riding on a dirt bike with my parents <laughs> in the sugarcane fields. There you go, another Cajun born woman and she actually crashed the motorcycle when she was pregnant well she found out a little later that she was pregnant for me and, and hoped that nothing happened to me and we laughed that maybe that's what happened you know when she crashed on that motorcycle I put something in me because I have been 100% addicted to motorcycles my entire life so at six years old I begged and pleaded enough that my mom and dad bought me my first little RM50 Suzuki and I started racing against the boys and I never looked back. It's been all about motorcycles my whole life. You said that it was scratching and clawing to get started in this profession. What was the hardest part of that initial start? I think definitely just to get someone to trust that I was going to be motivated and determined enough to make this happen because Shirley Muldowney had opened the door for us in drag racing. Um, but there wasn't a whole bunch of females on motorcycles. Uh, you know, we had 
we've had females racing motorcycles, but since the pro stock class has really become a pro stock motorcycle class on the NHRA, there was no females doing it. And uh, Stephanie Reeves and Karen Stouffer and I showed up at the same race in July of 96. But I think all three of us were faced with the same obstacle. And that was to get anyone to believe that this was something that we not only could physically do, but would mentally be tough enough to, to hang with the guys. Cause being a female in the sport, the hardest part is to leave your family behind, get in an airplane, get in a rental car, go to a hotel room all alone. I mean, I'm still with my team all weekend long, but it's different. I think for a woman than it is for a man to just get in the car and go when you're leaving children and a family, you know, your husband and a business, everything behind. I feel like I'm neglecting them when I do that. And that's a struggle that I have is, am I doing the right thing? And I continue to do it because I'm trying to teach my children that they can do anything and everything they ever wanted to do as long as they work hard and they stay determined and they stay motivated. So overcoming that obstacle of getting someone to believe in me, not only a team owner, you know, or my mechanics, my crew, but also sponsors. You know, you just got to get people to believe that you are who you say you are and that you can get it done. Back in those early years of the of the process of becoming um, a not only just a racer, but a successful one at that, what are the biggest keys in being a pro stock motorcycle racer? Definitely. Um, from, for me in particular, it's a little bit different than, let's say, Andrew Hines. Um, I'm five foot one. I weigh 120 pounds. I try to stay between 115 and 120. When I'm suited up, I'm 130. So the physical aspect of it for me is huge compared to what Andrew faces. Andrew walks around about 185. So it's easier for him to get the motorcycle down the racetrack than it is for me. One thing that I, I want you all to know is that um, we have a weight limit. So the pro stock motorcycle and the driver together have to weigh from in my case on the Suzuki is 610 pounds. So if I'm racing a guy that weighs 185 on a Suzuki, his motorcycle is going to be a lot lighter than mine. So he has a bigger, stronger body with a lighter motorcycle to fight it down the racetrack. I have a smaller, weaker body with a much heavier motorcycle because we have to balance the weight out for me to weigh to 610 pounds. So it's a physical obstacle. So I have to stay very strong. I'm in the gym all the time. I'm getting older. So I work out intensely uh, six to seven days a week. Right now has been kind of tough because my gym is shut down, but the physical aspect of it is really hard. And then you come to the mental part of it, which um, is really tough because in pro stock bikes compared to cars, there's a lot more going on. We use our bodies to drive the motorcycle. I have to shift through six gears in under five seconds. The bike cuts through the wind when it's a headwind or a tailwind, but when it's a sidewind, it's like a rudder or a sail on a sailboat. Very physically tough to get that thing down there. And then you're also trying to shift on time, correct the motorcycle quickly, make sure you stay on the gas when you're hanging off the side of it and get past the mental part of, yes, you're doing something that could kill you, but keep going because that's a hard thing. You know, being a mom, when the motorcycle starts to drift to the right and I'm hanging off the left and I'm getting up to speeds of 200 miles an hour in just over six seconds, the mom part of me kicks in and says, that fight or flight or whatever it's called when your brain wants to tell you to stop what you're doing because this is dangerous. I have to overcome that because it happens to me every single time I go down the racetrack, my brain or my mind is trying to tell me to stop what you are doing. 
and I have to keep fighting. And so the physical part and the mental part of it is very, very tough, but it's just something that I'm, I I love it more than I'm afraid of it. And that's why I keep doing it. When you look at the entirety of your career, where would you say you are right now? Wow, that's a tough one because I would want to say I've accomplished everything I've ever wanted to accomplish and I'm at the top of you know my career. There's really nothing left for me to do. But in my heart, I don't feel like I've done nearly enough. I, there's, I want more wins. I want more championships. I, I just want more success. And I don't know where that comes from. I'm never satisfied. It's never enough. And that's definitely not something that I want to be negative about. I don't, I don't want to act like, you know, I'm not appreciative of everything that I have because I am very appreciative, but I just don't feel like I've done enough. And that's another reason why I'm still here. So getting a fourth championship would be amazing. I'm trying not to put the pressure on myself for it because I do believe I've, I've accomplished enough. Um, but I still want more if that makes sense to you. Do you think you'll know if it's been enough? I don't know. Uh, that's a good, I've asked myself that question. When am I going to have enough? When will I be okay with stopping? I don't want to say quitting cause I'm never going to quit. It might get to a point where, you know, we don't have a sponsor again or, Vance and Hines might want to put someone else on the motorcycle. There'll be a, a time that will come where they'll say your, you know, your time is up, but it won't be me quitting. I don't think. And I just, I wonder often and on a daily basis, will I ever get there? And how will I handle it if I don't, you know, because there's going to be a day I'm going to have to walk away. And I don't know how I'm going to handle that because right now at X, as a matter of fact, the beginning of this year, I thought I was done. And I put out a video saying this, you know, I may be done. I don't think I'm coming back this year. Didn't have a sponsor. And I, I figured it was time for me to say goodbye. And then lo and behold, Terry Vance calls my, my team owner calls and says, we're going to put you out on the motorcycle again. So I was like, oh, I could breathe. I'm going to be there again this year. And now I'm facing that in another couple of weeks of what's going to happen for next year. And mentally, I'm not ready to walk away. So I guess with a lot of prayers and keeping myself busy with my two daughters, I'll find a way to do it if it happens, but I'm just not ready for it yet. Uh, and you're after your most recent one at Bristol, you were quoted as saying, I've been out here for so long. I learned to appreciate everything I get. Yes. Has the competition gotten harder as you've gotten older? Oh yes. The, the competition is much more fierce. I remember back when I first started racing, First round was easy. Second round was just a little tougher, but third round was where it started getting tough. And final, the final round was always the hardest. But these days, first round is like a final round. I mean, you have to be on your game. Everything has to go right. The stars have to align. You have to do everything you can to get past first round. And then the same thing with second, third. And by the time you get to the fourth round, you're usually mentally exhausted because it was just a tough day to get there. It's definitely... You know, as I've gotten older, it because it came easier in the beginning, I didn't appreciate it as much. But as I've gotten, gotten older, not only has the competition got more severe, more tough, but I just appreciate things more and more because I'm seeing my daughters try to do things now. And I'm just, you know, I see other racers come along like Gianna Salinas and she's out there and she had some things happen to her the first year and she's overcome those obstacles and she's doing so much better. And I, and I think just being able to watch other females and other racers get through what I went through, I've learned to appreciate it a lot more. But the biggest thing for me, the reason why I appreciate the, it the most now 
is because of what we just spoke about when I don't know when it's going to be my last. I don't know when it's going to be my last win. I don't even know when it's going to be my last race or even maybe my last run down the racetrack. So I appreciate every second of my day at the NHRA races these days because I just don't know when it's going to be over. For those of listening that might not know the format of drag racing on Sunday during eliminations, the 16 qualified cars or bikes, uh, they race in a head heads up fashion. It's a duel, one bike in one lane, one in the other. Uh, eight cars of that first round uh, go on to the second round. Four cars go to the semis and then two cars into the finals. Uh, that means you need four win lights to win the day and win the trophy. And Angel, as you know, that uh, journey is is harder than I just said it. When you look at drag racing, it is such extreme highs and such extreme lows. And in your case, in less than seven seconds, Mm -hmm. how do you weather the storm of such initial and consequential actions of you won or you lost and your day's over? Yeah, it's really tough. And I've told a lot of my friends who don't know about drag racing, what you just explained, you know, when you're playing a football game or driving in a, when uh, NASCAR, doing NASCAR, you have so much time, so much time to enjoy the whole sport. You know, a football game will last four hours. A, a race car race can last four hours, but my race lasts six and a half or 6.8 seconds. So yeah, like you said, I can go from being on the highest high because I won first round, I'm going to the second and then lowest low and you blow second round and you lose it. I think just over the years, I've learned to deal with it in the beginning of my years. And for those of you that don't know, I'm, I've been doing this for 25 years now. I started in 1996, like we talked about a little while ago. I'm 51 years old now. Or I should say 51 years young, but I've been <laughs> out here for a really long time. And in the beginning, I didn't understand the concept of, you know, there's so much that goes into it. Our race starts back at the shop. You know, my crew guys are working all week long preparing my motorcycle for me. And then the first journey or the first goal is to get the motorcycles to the track safely, you know, to get the rig from the race, from the race shop to the racetrack. And then we start qualifying. So I try to look at it now as the whole picture of how long the journey lasts to win a race instead of just one six second run, because I was putting my whole heart into that six second run when I first started racing. And then when I would lose, I was totally devastated and I wanted to give up because it was just, it just, there wasn't enough time to really appreciate it all. All I was seeing was the six seconds. But now I see the whole picture. I see my guys working at the shop. I see them work at the racetrack. I, I see, you know, the time it takes for us to do a burnout, make a run, do the whole process of from the first round of qualifying to the winner circle at the end of the weekend. And I'm just learning to enjoy it the way I should, the way I always should have. It's a huge process. It's not just me. When they hand the motorcycle over to me, I'm all by myself. But it took a ton of people to get that job done. So there's a lot more to it than a lot of people know. We could probably sit here for five (laughs) hours and not cover even half of what's involved in it. So, and this doesn't have to be a certain win or a certain championship, but what's been the most fulfilling part of this career? I think... um, you know, people ask what was the best part. Of course, my first win, my first championship. But I think the most fulfilling thing, and, and it was the toughest as well, was I retired and I made an official announcement in 2010. My last run down the racetrack was in 2008. And then I sat out for six years 
uh, well, I was retired. I was seriously retired. I didn't just sit out. I, was, I had no plans of ever coming back to the sport. I had my daughter in 2011. My husband and I started our business. Things were great. So what happened was I was invited back to the sport for a team who lost their rider in the middle of the season. And I came back as just a fill-in temporarily. I wasn't meant to be back here for any long period of time by any means whatsoever. And that was six years ago. So I came back, you know, just on a whim. Could you sit in for us? And I didn't quit. And the most fulfilling part of it has been my return. It's to come back after six years of not even sitting on a motorcycle, much less racing one that does nearly 200 miles an hour. And now I am doing 200 miles an hour. But to come back as a mom and win my first race with my daughters watching and struggle the way I did when I got back on it, but find my way back to success and find my way back to the winner's circle with my two daughters watching has been the best thing I could ever ask for. Because before I returned, it was a matter of they would only get to see articles, newspapers, magazines, some videos, but never see me do it themselves. And came back, took that risk because in the beginning, let me tell you, I, I told my daughters, I said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to try to do something because I want to show you girls what you can do. And I struggled so bad. I was like, what have I done? <laughs> you know, now I'm back out here showing them or telling them watch what mommy can do and I'm not doing it. And so, but it actually was a blessing in disguise because instead of me just jumping back on the motorcycle and instantly becoming successful and making them believe that things were easy, they got to watch the struggle and they got to watch me fight and not give up. And then they got to watch me win. So all of it worked out the way I wanted it to. That was your 42nd win of your career. Where does that trophy live? That trophy happens to be in the playroom of my little girls, Ava and Maya. It's sitting on a little pedestal with a, with a sign behind it that says, dreams only work if you do. So they keep that one. It has been to school several times for show and tell or any other thing, you know, if they wanted to bring something to school to show off. Um, we've also had, you know, career day and the day that they, I guess it's the same as career day. They dress up as what they want to be when they grow up. And the trophy has made it back to school for that. I've made it to school for career day. The teachers have asked me to talk to the students. And before that, all that happened, my daughters just looked at me as mom. They saw racing. They thought it was fun and cool, but they really didn't care that I raced. They, they love Uncle Antron way more than <laughs> when it comes to racing. Antron Brown, who races top of the drive, says that's their uncle. They, they just think he's the coolest thing in the world. But then when I got invited to come to the school and talk, and they saw their friends think that I was cool, well, then I finally became the cool mom who races. And as a matter of fact, today is camouflage day for Maya, and she's wearing a camouflage shirt that has Angel's army on it, and on the back of it, it says, don't mess with our girl. So I know people are going to ask her, what's that about? She's going to be able to talk about how mom races motorcycles. That's awesome. What a role model for them. I I imagine that they do think you wear a cape. They think it's cool now. Like I said, they just before it was, yeah, my mom races a motorcycle. Who cares? But, um, <laughs> now Ava has gotten old enough and competitive, competitive enough in her own shoes that she's really hard on me. So if I don't win a race, she gets kind of mad and upset. When she's at the race, by all means, I better win because she wants to go to Winter Circle. <laughs> the and important Maya, things. Yeah, Maya just thinks I'm great, win or lose. She thinks I'm the greatest thing in the world. So it's awesome. What would you say if they wanted to follow in your footsteps? 
I'm hoping and praying that they do not, um, <laughs> not because I don't think that they would be good at it, but I think they would both be fantastic. But now I see what my mom went through, you know, being worried about me on the racetrack and it's scary. You know, I don't want to have to watch them do that. I'm trying to introduce them to other things because I love the sport so much. Ava's really good at social media and taking pictures and writing. So I'm, I would love for her to do PR or even what you do. Maya actually is showing some interest in mechanics and how great would that be if she worked on something. So I'm trying to introduce them to something else other than racing. But if they choose to race, I'll fully support them. I just would prefer them to not be in that situation for my own sake. So I'm being a little selfish. You're such a ambassador, not only for your community, uh, but for fans at the track, uh, for uh, women in sports. Are you comfortable in that role? I wasn't in the beginning. I didn't understand it. I, I've never really had anyone that I looked at as a role model. I'm so self-driven and self-motivated. I didn't need that. So at first I couldn't understand why people needed to look at me in that role or why did I need to be a role model? Why do I need to go out there and tell people they can do? Cause I was as part of my job, you know, with sponsors, I was brought to different situations where when I was sponsored by Winston, I went to sales meetings and I had to talk to the sales people and try to motivate them to sell. And then I was sponsored by the army and I went to high schools and I had to talk to students and I had to motivate them to do something with their lives and it was hard for me to do it because I almost didn't believe my own words. You know, I didn't believe that I can tell you that you can do anything. If you don't believe it, how can I tell you to do it? So that's how I was in the beginning. And then again, back to my daughters, my daughters came along and that's when everything changed. And I realized that there has to be some external motivation as well as internal. And I had it too. I just didn't understand it. I had my brother. I had my dad. I had my mom. It just wasn't anybody famous that I was looking to. So now that I see my daughters watching YouTube and seeing people on TV and they, you know, they dream about being famous, I understand what that external motivation is all about now. And the words really mean a lot to me now. So I'm very careful with how I talk to people, what I say to people how I present myself. You know, if someone tells me that they're dealing with an obstacle, I know that the words I tell them now can change. It can make or break them. So it's very important to me now. And I really appreciate being a role model. So I think that if you know me from 20 years ago and you know me now, you will notice the difference in me with the way I am. And I'm really grateful that my daughters came along and changed that for me. Angel Sampay is the winningest female racer of all time. What do those words sound like to you? <laughs> they sound amazing, but I, I would love to be the winningest racer of all time. I don't know if I'm ever going to get that. Andrew Hines, my teammate, my crew chief, has made that very difficult. I think he has 58 wins, if I'm not correct. I don't know. If, I think it's 58. And I'm at 45, so uh, I don't have a lot of years left to do this to catch up to him. But if I walk away with the title of winning as female and I never get the winning as I'm pretty sure that's going to be enough. But I also know that Erica Enders is not going to make that easy for me to keep, you know, she's right there behind me, chasing me down with those wins. And I do hope that she's as successful as she wants to be. 
And if anybody else comes along and wants to beat my record, I'll be right there cheering them on. But like you just said, it may be, be maybe it will be one of my own daughters. So I don't plan on holding that title forever. But while I get to keep it, I'm going to cherish it. What do you feel could be the biggest misconception about Angel Sampei? Oh, the, this, I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people see my passion and my intensity and they misread it. You know, I'm, I'm very emotional and I'm very serious when I'm racing and I'm, I'm very focused and sometimes I don't always look very nice. And so, you know, if someone catches me at a bad time, which I don't think there's a bad time, I, I should say the wrong time. If I'm getting ready to make a run, putting on my helmet and a fan tries to yell out to me and I'm so, I'm in such a tunnel vision mode that I, sometimes I don't hear people. I don't see them. You can literally walk up to me and try to talk to me if my mind's on something and I won't even, I can't even hear you or see you. And that comes across as I'm not a nice person. There's a word I want to say, but I'm not going to say it. You know, people have called me bad names, but that's just not me. The real me is I'm just not, I, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. And I think people think that, and I don't, I'm not mean, I, but I look it when I'm intense. And so the, the one thing I would like people to know is if, and I think you heard me say this, I think I was with you on the stage when I said, if you don't like me, give me five minutes, I'll change your mind. <laughs> because when I'm racing, I'm a whole different person. But when you get me off the racetrack and out of the helmet, you'll, you'll understand who I really am. I'm just a little Cajun girl from the bayous of Louisiana. I'm willing to do anything to help. And I'm, I'm kind of even timid and shy sometimes. I don't, you know, my husband says, and I know I'm rambling right now, but my husband says, how do you talk so much when you have to do an interview? But then at home, I don't really talk a whole bunch. And it's, that's the difference in me because I have to do what I have to do when I have to do it. So if you ever meet me at the racetrack, if you can't get my autograph or you think I'm mean or I don't look nice, please catch me at a different time because I'm not that person that you might think I am. I'm really just a normal person. I'm going to just, I don't think men have the same pressure there. They don't because, you know, I have seen, and I'm not going to say any names, but I was at a restaurant one time uh, at a race and a very popular racer was at the table eating dinner and Fans walked up to him at the, t- at the table and they said, I hate to bother you while you're at dinner. And he said, then don't. And he was not playing. And I kept thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, if a fan walked up to me and said that and I said, then don't, I would be labeled and hated for the rest of my career. So I would never turn down an autograph intentionally. If I ever did, it was probably, like I said, in some kind of tunnel vision or I wasn't really paying attention and didn't know what was going on. But yeah, so the guys can get away with it. The girls cannot. We have to be friendly. We have to have a smile on our face. We have to be happy. We can never complain. And oh, don't cry. Because if you cry, you know, they're going to make fun of you. But, you know, the emotions are, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm very intense and I'm very emotional. So there's going to be a lot of tears. And I finally learned to just say, look, if you don't like to see me cry, look away because it's going to happen. I can attest as someone that's been able to share in some of those incredible moments with you over the last couple of years, if, if there's nothing else, you are absolutely authentic in who you are and incredibly genuine. And as a fan of the sport, as a viewer of the sport, uh, I think that that is uh, exactly uh, the respect of the competition that should be shown. Thank you. I do see people win and they don't get very emotional. They stay really calm. 
And I used to think, why can't I do that? You know, why can't I just stay calm and talk the way I would like to talk? Because I watched my interviews. I'm like, oh, I sounded like an idiot because I was so emotional and I didn't say what I wanted to say. But over the years, I've learned and through a lot of fans that have told me that that's what people want to see. Like you said, they want to see the genuine part of you. And those emotions come flooding out of me. I can't control them. I don't plan on trying to fix it. So I'm going to go and finish my career, however long that's going to be, with the same emotion I came into it with. Well, by the time this interview airs, we'll be getting closer and closer to the shot of a potential fourth championship for you. When you look back at this season, is there a word that defines it to this point? Is there a theme for this year? Uh, I don't, there's not, uh, other than crazy. I mean, it's, you know, coming off of 2021 where we were so messed up with, with COVID and not being able to race the way we wanted to, where we wanted to, not being able to have the fans we wanted to. Um, this year has been a little bit better, but still kind of crazy, you know, just trying to catch up. We had a very awkward year last year. We didn't get the, the, the seat time we would have liked. We didn't get the amount of time on the track. We would have liked to run the bikes and tune them and get to where we want. So it's just been a crazy year. You know, I got, I was put on a brand new motorcycle. Vance and Hines built this new Suzuki four valve. I'd never been on a Suzuki since 2007 never raced an engine this powerful. I was coming off of a Harley Davidson V twin wasn't an aerodynamic motorcycle by any means. I was having to just the term that I hate to use, but I'm going to say it anyway is manhandle the motorcycle. I, you know, I went from that to this Suzuki that takes a lot of finesse and, um, I had to relearn how to ride all over again. And then, you know, the crazy year and still dealing with COVID and, you know, We've had racers that had to miss races this year because of it. And I've been struggling at home to stay away. I stay home as much as I can. I try not to go out as much as I can because I want to stay healthy doing everything. You know, it's a fear I have. I'm scared to get sick because I want to be able to finish the season. So imagine I have two kids coming home with germs that they bring home from school and I'm doing the best I can to stay healthy because at any moment, if I were to get sick and I had to miss a race, it could be the end of it for me. So I deal with that too. So yeah, I know um, the word you asked for, I, the only thing I come up with is crazy. It's here, and I'm it sounds like it. it. Yep. And then you had a hurricane. And, oh yeah. On top of that, hurricanes and yeah, COVID. It's just been like, what? when's it going to stop? When are we going to have a little bit of time where we can just have a little smooth sailing and not have anything to worry about? But I guess life would be dull and boring if that were the case. Well, the smooth sailing part of this interview is over. We're going to head into the hot lap, which you make tons of hot laps down a drag strip. So I'm not even worried about this. But first question, you're going on a road trip. Where are you headed? To the mountains. We've been talking about going there with my with my kids again. We went to Sedona uh, last year and we absolutely loved it. I love hiking. We love the outdoors. And that's definitely where I would head. What are you driving? My Tahoe. I drive a Chevy Tahoe and I love it. Got three, uh, two kids and my husband, three others besides myself. Got to have a big car. Well, I think there's probably a known answer to this, but if you're driving in the left seat, who's in the passenger seat? I was going to say, I'm always driving my husband. You do? <laughs> He's like, why do you have to drive everywhere? I guess it makes him feel uncomfortable when we get there and everybody, you know, why is your wife driving? But it's just who I am. I'm even on, a, I never rode on the back of a motorcycle. I mean, I can't say I never did, but I did not often ride on the back of a motorcycle. If I'm going to be on a motorcycle, I'm driving it. 
so yeah, definitely my husband in the passenger seat and the kids behind. And uh, we usually have one other kid with us too. They're always begging to bring somebody with us. <laughs> What's on the radio? That's a funny question because I don't even listen to the radio. Well, that's, a, that's one thing my husband gets mad about. I drive in silence. I think there's just so much going on in my head at all times that I forget to even turn it on. So yes, I'm constantly driving in silence. All right. What's the road snack? Oh, wow. We would have to have um, gummy bears for my kids. They love it. I'm all about protein bars. Um, First Form is my favorite protein bar, by the way, if you haven't tried them. They're awesome. So yeah, I'm a health nut. So there's going to be water and uh, something healthy like a protein bar. Well, at 51 years young, Angel, what do you want your legacy to be? I definitely want to leave behind the whole point of I'm, I come from a small town with no external motivation, I, you know, other than my own family. I did this on my own. So I just want to leave a mark for people to see that no matter how much money you have, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what your parents did to you, you know, no matter what your, your history is, your story, no matter where you're coming from, it doesn't determine where you're going to. And I think, although my life was good. I didn't, I didn't struggle. I had great parents, but I just didn't come from a drag racing family who helped me get to where I want to be. So I just would hope that people would have learned from me that you can do whatever you want to do. Don't take no for an answer, make things happen, scratch and claw your way into whatever, whatever it is you want to do. And I hope that I am the one that people think of sometimes when they get that done. Well, she is a three-time champion with 45 wins that she owns. Angel Sampay, the winningest female racer in history on the Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. Thank you for listening to the Women Shifting Gears podcast, driven by Hemmings. Hemmings, your marketplace for the car collector enthusiast since 1954. This podcast is produced by GS Events.